This is the 100th episode of the pod. So to celebrate, I'm going to be sharing some lessons that I found on page 100 of some of my favorite horse and non-horse books, including, of course, my own book, Dressage Naturally Results in Harmony. There's something for everyone in this episode, from an exercise to help with your horse's connection with the reins, to advice for living a life in love. So here we go, episode 100, Lessons from Page 100. I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. When I mentioned to my husband, Dana, that I was getting ready to record my 100th episode of the pod, he looked at me in a combination of disbelief and awe and slowly shook his head in a way that said, I don't know how you do it. I gave myself two thumbs up and pointed them at myself while saying, this girl can talk. (laughs) It reminded me of this quote by Pablo Picasso, and he said, if there were only one truth, you couldn't paint a hundred canvases on the same theme. So if you've listened to me for a while, you know I strongly believe that the truth is always in the middle. And so in that playful, messy middle road of training horses in harmony, there's plenty to talk about. And I wanted to thank you for listening and for sharing this pod with others. The audience has just grown with every month, and it's so fun to see people from all over the world listening. So no matter where you live in the world, I see you, (laughs) and thank you so much for listening. So in thinking of how to commemorate this 100th episode I had an idea to look at page 100 of my book, the Dressage Naturally book. And on there, on page 100, there's a really cool exercise that I will share with you. But then I got curious about what I might find on page 100 of other books. So I started with other horse books, and then I kind of had fun randomly selecting books off my shelf or sitting on my coffee table and flipping to page 100. And there were a lot of things that I found that were either too boring or too random or wholly inappropriate, depending on which book or genre I grabbed. Uh, But there were a bunch of ones that I want to share, and I actually ended up having to whittle it down a little bit. But I I made some selections, and I'm going to share them with you. They're a little bit random. However, I wonder if you'll start to see any through lines So the first one uh, I'm going to read is from my book, and it's an exercise, and it's an exercise uh, for maintaining forward confidence with your horse um, when you pick up and shorten your reins. So the exercise on page 100 is called Maintaining Forward Confidence When the Reins Are Shortened. And let's see, I'll just, well, I'll try to just read it to you. So this exercise I've found to be successful with horses and riders who have a pattern of bracing 
and getting stuck when the reins are shortened. So step one is you ride with long, loose reins and check that you have a gas pedal. Check that your horse will move confidently forward with long reins. Once you can do that, step two is you shorten your reins until you can just barely feel your horse, but don't influence him. Just take the slack out. And in that moment, check your gas pedal again, ask your horse to put a little more energy in, and at the same moment, throw your reins away. So imagine, there's an analogy. So imagine your horse is standing in front of a closed door and one of those double swinging doors, um, you know, oh, that's the type of door it is. It's a double swinging door. So you kind of like in a bar, an old time saloon or something like that. So imagine a horse is standing there and you're going to ask him to go. And at the same time, you open the door. So this is going to build his confidence in your hands and it will help you dissolve your tendency to hold on when you add energy. All right. So in step one, the doors open, long, loose reins. Step two, you, you let the door close And at the moment you ask him to go through the door, then the door opens instantaneously. And it's also a good reflex. I'm adding stuff. (laughs) I said I was just going to read it, but I can't just read it. I got to add stuff. Yeah. So it's also creating a reflex. So many riders, when their horses go, they also want to hold on more. So it's a really good exercise to practice asking for energy and opening your hands. If your problem is that you tend to brace. All right, so step three, let's say you can do that one, is you go to um, that same feeling of you just took the slack out of the rain, you're not influencing, you just, the reins are short, and you ask your horse for a little bit more, you check your gas pedal, but this time you don't throw the reins away until he commits to going. Once he commits, then give the reins. So with that analogy, picture... Your horse is standing in front of the closed door. You ask him to go and he starts to go and it's like he pushes on the door and then it opens for him. And this will really build his confidence and his boldness. So again, step one, the door's open. And step two, you ask him to go and at the same moment, the, the door opens. So he's like, oh, door's open. Sure, I can go now. In step three, The door looks closed and you have to tempt him to go. And as soon as you feel him going, then he realizes he just pushed the door open. So then step four is you go to that same thing. Take the slack out of the reins and check your gas pedal by asking your horse for more energy. And then wait with your hands until he commits. Then follow along with him, but don't throw the reins away. So to use the analogy, he's standing in front of the closed door. You ask him to go. He moves forward. He pushes on the door just enough for it to start to kind of bow open. And then the door moves with him. So now he feels powerful. Now that door turned into almost like the sail on a sailboat, right? So that's another analogy I use. It's like he provides wind into the sail. The sail poofs out and then, then the boat moves. So now he's powerful and he can feel that like he can move that whole building. Now imagine if you were to ask for 
flexion or on the bit or something like that the other way. Suppose you were standing in front of a closed door and then you started pulling the door towards him. <laughs> you know, imagine you're standing in front of that door and the door is opening now towards you. It's coming coming into your space. You're going to start feeling cramped or like you might have to take a step backwards to get out of the way. And now imagine that moment someone starts pushing you forward. Probably will create some brace. Now, also know there's a wide range of interpretations of this idea of riding forward to the connection. Some trainers believe you've got to really drive your horse into the contact, and the answer to any problem is to add energy from behind. And horses trained like this can have a lot of power, but often are more like a tight bow with constant tension through the reins. Some trainers will focus on the flexions of the jaw to keep the neck loose, and they'll solve all the problems in this way. And horses trained like this can feel light, but often fall out of balance during um, the moves that require more power. Or the horse gets behind the aids and sucks back and drops his back in the movements that require a lot of carrying strength. And of course, some trainers and riders will get it just right. And that just right dynamic takes artful riding and an ability to ask your horse for exactly what's needed. The picture is that the hind legs are active, and because the spine is loose and supple and the jaw is soft and positive, every impulse from the hindquarters carries the entire horse forward in balance. The rider enables the horse to find the best place for his head and neck, and this will happen if the rider and horse are in balance, which will lead to the most freedom of movement. And if the rider is clear with this communication, and if the horse is instantly responsive. So when you ride your horse truly forward to the connection, energy created from behind will move through a loose, supple spine into receiving jaw and hands. And you'll feel like you have big arrows pointing forward through your forearms, going forward to the horse's mouth. And nothing will feel like it's going backwards. All right. <laughs> so that's a fun exercise to try. It takes a lot of coordination. You might have to rewind and go jot down those steps or just look it up in my book. It's on page 100. <laughs> All right. So that was an exercise that is very particular about a special moment, that moment when you're um, creating this connection through the rain. So it kind of deconstructs the dynamic of the connection in order to problem solve something really specific. So the next book I picked up uh, was Walter Zettel's book called A Circle of Trust. And I went to page 100. And in the section about the instructor, he writes this. At the end of a good lesson, the student will have a sense of accomplishment and the feeling that he's taken a small step towards their goal, and he will look forward to his next lesson with impatience and anticipation. He should also recognize, however, that there will be a long road to near perfection, and many small and short steps will be necessary to get there. Each one of the steps must be correct. It's easy for a rider to feel that he needs to work a lot and push ahead rapidly with large steps to make progress. However, the beauty of riding is that less work but good work is always better than a lot of bad work. 
I have to think back years ago when I helped Diana Rankin prepare for one week um, for the Tournament of Champions in Chicago. I let her ride most of the time basic exercises to correct better relaxation, bending, and transitions. After a couple of days, she asked me if we should not work on some of those Grand Prix exercises. I told her that Lady Killer already knew these exercises. It wasn't necessary to work on those, but rather just let him do them. Show him and let him do it. She was very happy when she won the Grand Prix, the Grand Prix Special, and the Musical Cur, even without too much training of the Grand Prix exercises. In life, a little but good effort is better than a lot of bad effort. And this is particularly true with regard to riding. Many times, one sees riders doing the exact opposite. When the rider or the instructor tries to speed up the process by taking large steps, trouble can arise. In all likelihood, this will lead to mistakes that in the end will take much longer to correct. These mistakes accumulate slowly, often unnoticed. A little mistake uncorrected here, another there. Riders are sometimes very skillful at coping and hiding their, their mistakes. But as they accumulate, a major problem is in the making. By the time the unskilled observer or student recognizes the error, we have gone well over the limit and the undoing is a major job. The wake-up call always comes when it's far too late. So-called shortcuts only create a feeling of uncertainty for both horse and rider. Each rider and each horse need time to develop mutual trust. Shortcuts, in reality, take much more time because the rider has to go back again and work through the problems all over again, this time correctly. When things have to be done over correctly, the rider can become bored and disillusioned. They thought that they knew how to do this stuff, and now they're just learning the same thing over again. It's ironic that the students who will take well to this redoing are the perfectionists who would have been comfortable with the short steps in the first place. Furthermore, we must now retrain the horse as well as the student. The horse has learned to deal with all of the student's mistakes in various ways and going back over the same ground a second time, we will have to overcome and sometimes eliminate what the horse has now added to the mix. Small steps, no shortcuts. I had the pleasure of meeting Walter Zettel and observing his teaching on multiple occasions. What a dear, dear man. So next, I picked up a book that I got recently, and it's called Take Me to the Truth, Undoing the Ego by Nook Sanchez and Thomas Thomas Vieira. I haven't even read the book yet, but I had it sitting on my coffee table in the living room, and on page 100, they talk about real love. Real love is a permanently self-enlarging experience. Falling in love is not. The act of falling in love is a self-limiting one that has nothing to do with cultivating and nurturing our spiritual development, except for the wonderful opportunity it presents for undoing the ego. Falling in love is the temporary collapse of a section of our ego boundaries, It is not an experience of true, unconditional love. Therefore, the experience of euphoria is bound to recede as each ego boundary snaps back to its original contracted wall. 
This type of love is called special love, and because of its conditional quality, it's a contracted form of love that unconsciously seeks to get rather than to give, even though it is ingeniously disguised as love and certainly looks like love to us. Conscious love, on the other hand, requires the unconditional extension of oneself, giving for the sake of giving, with no strings attached. So unconditional love is about giving. Now the next book that was sitting on the couch with me that I picked up is a book called Mindful Partners, The Zen Art and Science of Working with Animals. And it's by Jennifer Seligs, who's um, also the author of Animal Training 101. And I picked up this Mindful Partners. This is her new book uh, at the time of the podcast. And on page 100 of Mindful Partners, there was a passage that connected beautifully to what was just what I just read in the book, Take Me to the Truth. So on page 100, she's um, talking about teaching a bridge signal. And a bridge is like a, a clicker is a bridge, or you can say the word good or something like that when you're doing positive reinforcement and it really marks a moment in time. So this is what she writes on page 100. Teaching a bridge signal can be done quickly and easily, and I feel it's the most valuable tool in my training toolbox, and I highly recommend you try it for your own animal partnership. To start, just produce the bridge, good, for example, and then deliver your reward, your gift, as quickly as possibly. <laughs> as quickly as possible. Understanding how to charge up your bridge signal like this will prepare you for future meaningful communication while also making plenty of deposits into your relationship bank account. Giving freely helps over time to tilt the scales in your direction as a pleasant and desirable person with whom to interact. It builds up the relationship bank account, counteracts fear, and develops an engaged seeking attitude. I encourage you to try to remember to use this method regularly. Even when you have an established relationship, it will have a beneficial effect on you as well as your animal friend by reminding you to think of them and to look forward to your engagement with willing enthusiasm. As you develop predictable communication by cultivating a bridge stimulus, a new phase of clarity and confidence will begin to blossom in your partnership. This will bring a harmonious win-win to your encounters and set you up for the next phase of a more advanced, mindful partnership. So that was pretty cool to read to pick up and find those two passages back to back in completely different kinds of books. Love, giving freely. Hey everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. So now you've heard me rave about the video classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are gonna be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls, and anyone who's in the classroom 
gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before, so it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. So the next book that I grabbed was called The Book of Secrets by Osho. Now, I guess grabbing the book is actually not a true description. So <laughs> this book is it's a 1,308-page book. It's about three inches thick. <laughs> it is um, 112 meditations to discover the mystery within. And uh, because it's such a nice-sized book, uh, I had actually put it underneath my computer to raise it up so I had, like, better ergonomics when <laughs> I was at the computer. So I didn't grab this book. I gently lifted up my uh, desktop computer, and then I slid out the book and gently placed the computer back on my desk. But I was super curious to see what was on page 100 of this Oh. Book of Secrets. That was the sound of me picking <laughs> picking up this 1,300-page book. So, all right, here we go. You are not created for any purpose. And it's good that you're not created for any purpose. Otherwise, you would be a machine. A machine is created for some purpose. Man is not created for some purpose, for something, no. Man is just the outflowing, overflowing creation. Everything simply is. Flowers are there, and stars are there, and you are there. Flowers. <laughs> Sorry, that word was split across two lines. And he just said flowing. So the word is flowers. <laughs> Let me, let me reread that. Everything simply is. Flowers are there, and stars are there, and you are there. Everything is just an overflowing, a joy, a celebration of existence without any purpose. But this theory of fate, of predetermination, is what creates problems because we take it as a theory. We think that everything is determined, but nothing is determined. However, this technique uses this as a device. When we say everything is determined, this is not said to you as a theory. The purpose is this, that if you take life as a drama, predetermined, then it becomes a dream. For example, if I knew that this day, this night, I was going to talk to you, and has predetermined what words I should speak on this day, and if it's so fixed that nothing can be changed, that I cannot utter a single new word, then suddenly... I'm not related at all with this whole process because I am not the source of action. Super, super interesting. 
Everything just is. Everything simply is. Flowers are there, stars are there, and you are there. Everything is just an overflowing, a joy, a celebration of existence without any purpose. Definitely plenty to ponder on that one. But this idea that if things are predetermined, then there's no action to take really got my attention. And what I know is I love action. (laughs) So when working through anything in life or with horses, even working through mindset things, at the end of that, then we have to know, okay, so then what does the action look like? How does that mindset change the behavior? So speaking of action, (laughs) the next book I picked up is one of my all-time favorite books, and it's called The Art of Possibility by Rosamund um, Stone Zander and Benjamin Zander. And here is what I found on page 100 of The Art of Possibility. So this actually starts, um, I'll set it up. (laughs) They start on the previous page uh, with a story um, excerpt from the movie Babe (laughs) about a pig. And um, one of the ducks on this farm where Babe was had become, well, he had become the, she had become the main course. So the other animals were watching (laughs) what's going on inside the farmhouse. And Ferdinand the duck exclaimed, like, why, why did they have to take her and eat her for dinner? To which the cow replied, the only way to find happiness is to accept that the way things are is the way things are. And then the duck replied, the way things are stinks. And Benjamin Zander picks it up from there. He says... Presumably, the cow will go like a lamb to slaughter, while the duck will look for a means of escape. But what if there's no apparent way out? Will the duck spend what he conceives to be the last days in misery, flapping against the walls of his cage? The practice in this chapter is an antidote both to the hopeless resignation of the cow and to the spluttering resistance of the duck. It is to be present to the way things are, including our feelings about the way things are. And this practice can help us clarify the next step that will take us in the direction that we want to go. The calculating self is threatened by such an attempt. Why hang around and feel like a sucker, it asks. But the central self expands and develops with each new experience. What is here now, it asks, But what else is here now? So being present to the way things are is not the same as accepting things as they are in the resigned way of the cow. It doesn't mean you should drown out your negative feelings or pretend that um, you like what you really can't stand. It doesn't mean that you should work to achieve some higher plane of existence so you can transcend negativity. It simply means being present without resistance, being present to what is happening and present to your reactions, no matter how intense. Say, for example, you're on your annual winter vacation in Florida and rain is pouring down steadily. Surely you won't like that. 
You came here expecting sun and warmth and rounds of golf and lots of time on the beach. The question is, can you be with the whole thing, the rain and your feelings about the rain? If you cannot, you might spend entire days bracing against the truth, complaining about how unfair it is, how nobody warned you about the weather patterns, how the hotel ought to refund your money because your brochure showed sunny skies, how wrong your spouse was to not take your advice to go to the resort in Tucson. You might find yourself railing at the heavens, asking why you personally are being punished. You would be stuck, unable to go on from there. However, there's another choice. Letting the rain be, without fighting it. Merely exchanging an and for a but may do the trick. We are in Florida for our winter vacation, and it's raining. This isn't what we planned. It's very disappointing. If we wanted rain at this time of year, we would have visited our friends in Seattle. And this is the way things are. Presence without resistance. You are now free to turn the question, what do we want to do from here? And then all sorts of pathways begin to appear. So being present to the way things are and how that gives you the freedom to decide what to do next. I love that. Well, that's some lessons from page 100. I hope you enjoyed it and I'll see you in episode 101. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.